Okay, um, I invite you to uh, open your Bibles to today's scripture reading. It's found in the book of James, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Uh, When you are there, uh, please be upstanding for the reading of God's word. The book of James, chapter 5, starting at verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. This was the reading of God's Word. Uh, Please be seated. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, During our praise time earlier uh, this morning, we sang a hymn entitled, Come Down Fount. Uh, This hymn was originally written by a man by the name of Robert Robinson. When Robert was 16, he was living a life of drunkenness, debauchery, and sin. But he happened to hear on one particular evening the preaching of George Whitfield. When he heard the gospel that evening, he was so convicted of his sins, he repented And he decided to follow Jesus. Four years later, at the age of 20, he received a call to ministry and became a pastor. And two years subsequent to that, he penned that famous hymn. Robert Robinson went on to lead a healthy and vibrant church. But unfortunately, for some reason unexplained, he became discontent. He grew distant from the Lord, and he became unhappy. His Christian beliefs seemed to be of no importance to him, and he started to drift and drift and drift until the point he had wandered from the Lord entirely. He had left the church, he had left the ministry, and he had considered himself no longer to be a Christian. In his spiritual backsliding condition, Robert Robinson was one day traveling in a stagecoat. As he was traveling, he saw a young lady, and that young lady happened to be singing the song that he had written. She sang, Come Down Fount of Every Blessing. Tune thy heart to sing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. When she finished singing the song, she looked over to Robert Robinson, and she asked him, What do you think about this song? And he replied in this way, Madam I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many, many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to feel now as I felt then. Then she replied to him, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing today. Friends, what I've just outlined and described for you is the reality of spiritual wandering And this reality is actually much more common than we are often led to think and believe. I know we don't talk much about spiritual wandering. And when we see a brother or sister wander away from the faith, we are repeatedly surprised. However, we only need to read our Bibles to be faced with the constant reminder of the reality of spiritual wandering. If we read... 2 Peter 3.17, he writes this, Take care that you are not carried away 
with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Or Hebrews 3.12, as the writer writes, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. In fact, all of Hebrews, this entire letter is written to a community who is now at risk of falling away, wandering. And as James, in today's passage, concludes this pithy letter, he doesn't end with greetings or farewells. No, this is what he writes, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James, as we've been going throughout the summer, is a very practical letter, straight to the point. And as this writer ends this letter for us, he ends on a solemn note, reminding us of the reality of spiritual wandering, that spiritual wandering is an all-too-common reality, and then he tells us what we must do as a church, a community, to combat this. And so today's message, we have two points, simply the reality of spiritual wandering, and second, the remedy of spiritual wandering. First, the reality, second, the remedy. First, on the reality of spiritual wandering, James, he addresses the who and the what. He starts in verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. When it comes to the matter of spiritual wandering, James addresses the entire church. He doesn't just talk to new believers or those who are supposedly weak in the faith. He says, if anyone among you wanders. That anyone includes pastors, it includes missionaries, it includes elders, deacons, leaders. That anyone includes your parents who might have reared you in the faith. That anyone includes your children whom you might have nurtured in the faith. That anyone includes those who've even led you to faith and those who've encouraged you in the faith. Anyone is susceptible to spiritual wandering. This is further accented by James' use of the term brothers. Remember, throughout his letter, James, he uses brothers to address everyone in the church. For example, James 2.1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith, faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be patient, therefore, Brothers. In fact, James uses this title brothers 15 times in this very, very short letter to address the entire church, and in his final exhortation, he excludes no one when he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Church, this is an alarming truth, is it not? That those who wander could be anyone. And by the same token, those who wander are called brothers. James doesn't refer to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. He doesn't call them pretenders. He doesn't call them cultural Christians or nominal Christians. He doesn't refer to these people as weak in faith. He calls them brothers, true brothers in the faith, washed in the same blood, redeemed by the same Savior, called by the same Heavenly Father. And yet, while they are genuine brothers, they are, we are, still prone to wander. 
This is not because some of us lack faith. No, it's because sin evades no one. It's because the devil leaves no one untouched. And it's because we all, in some form or fashion, experience tremendous suffering and hardship in this world. Or we experience extreme comforts and boredom that will push our hearts to wander from the God that we love. I remember when I first came to faith in Jesus many, many years ago, I was so excited to tell the people who had encouraged me in the faith for many, many years. There were so many people in my life who had encouraged me, prayed for me, talked to me, shared the gospel with me. And when I finally came to accept Christ, I wanted to reach out to these people to encourage them, to thank them, to tell them, your labors were not in vain. I called some, I met with some, and to my surprise, some of those brothers and sisters had wandered. I thought to myself, no way! I could even recall hearing the earnestness in their voices as they shared the gospel with me. How could they have wandered? Well, that exercise, while it was a joyful one, was also a sobering one, a reminder that no one is immune from sin. No one is above spiritual wandering. So the who in spiritual wandering is anyone, any brother, any sister. You and I are not above it. Now the what? What is spiritual wandering then? Well, the word that James uses for wander is planeo, the Greek word planeo, from which we get the English word planet. You see, the ancients at one time viewed the planets as these heavenly wanderers. They appeared to move around in the sky with little purpose and little plan. And that's precisely the idea that's being conveyed here by James. Spiritual wonderment, I made up a word, spiritual wandering is the act of moving around without any plan or purpose. It's being pulled away from the centrifugal force, which is the gospel. It's being pulled away from the center of the truth of Jesus. It's being pulled away from that towards the irrelevant and the irreverent. It's going astray without any sense of direction. You know, it reminds me of what the great American philosopher Michael Scott once said. He said, sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. Wandering aimlessly, without purpose, without plan. I know, friends, the idea of wandering is a rather harmless one in our life, is it not? We like to wander around the city. We like to wander through malls. We like to wander in the woods. We wander for the sake of exploration. We want to discover new things. But friends, what is the unintended consequence of wandering? It's getting lost. It's going further and further away from the place where you started. You might have experienced this as a little child. We all have the trauma of getting lost at some point, right? Or you're with your parents, or you're with a guardian, and you become curious. You want to discover, and so what do you do? You start to wander. You go further and further. You move on from one aisle to the next, and you wander and wander and wander. Not with ill intent. You just want to discover, or you're curious. But the further you start to wander, 
what happens? You become lost. Parents, you've experienced this. You know that sunken feeling of when you look around and you saw your child was standing right there with eyes of curiosity. And what happens? They've wandered too far and you can't find them and your heart just sinks. Spiritual wandering is moving away slowly and slowly without purpose, without aim, away from the truth of the gospel. It's moving further and further away from the center, which is Christ. You know, interestingly, the word for wander that's used here in today's passage is the same word that's used in chapter 1, verse 16, where James writes this, My brothers, do not be deceived. He uses the exact same word, planeo, in 5.19, where he says, My brothers, if anyone wanders from the truth. See, these two verses function almost as bookends to the letter. Self-deception and wandering. You can call self-deception the disease, and wandering could be the symptom. When you're self-deceived, you start to think, It's okay. It's okay. I'm okay. This is okay. And as you deceive yourself, you wander further and further away from the truth. It can begin with a thought, a doctrine that you find reprehensible or incomprehensible. It can begin with an action, an act of immorality. You know, as Paul describes, Paul knows uh, the reality of spiritual wandering too well. And in his letter to Timothy, he actually talks about these two instances He talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus, and he talks about how they have departed from the faith in 2 Timothy 2.17. He says they started to believe that the resurrection had already taken place, so it started with an idea, it started with a thought, it started with bad theology. And as they believed that the resurrection had already taken place, Hymenaeus and Philetus, Philetus, they started to depart, they started to wander away from the truth. Paul also mentions Demas. Demas isn't one who had bad theology, but what did he do? He started to love this present world. He started to fall in love with this world. It was an action. It started with immorality. And as he started to fall in love with this world, he deserted and he wandered away from the faith. See, friends, it begins in very, very small ways, with a thought or with a small action, thinking this is okay, this is okay, until you wander further and further away from the truth. You know, when I, when I was seeking out uh, some of those individuals who had helped me, encouraged me in the faith, uh, I recall there was this one brother who had wandered so far that his backsliding was very close to apostasy. I think it was Alistair Begg who once said, it's impossible to tell in the moment whether we are temporarily backsliding or whether we are on the road to apostasy. And I sat down with this brother and I asked him, hey, so what happened? What happened in your life that you've just departed from the faith? And he answered, I don't know. Life happened. I got busy. I started to get lazy from time to time. You know, I started to make excuses, sometimes valid, sometimes not. I started to disagree with what the Bible was teaching. I pulled myself out of community, honestly. I stopped going to church because I had just broken up with my girlfriend and it was awkward to see her there. 
And all of these confluences, or all of these small things started to add up. And he said, you know, at this point, I don't know if I can say that I believe in Jesus. You know, if I looked at what happened, you know, one action, one disagreement, I can rationalize. Could we not? Maybe he was really tired. Maybe he was really busy. Now, while it's not ideal, it's understandable. Sometimes when you're just too tired, too exhausted, it's difficult to be present. He found it difficult to accept what the Bible was teaching about other religions. And while the Bible was clear on that, I know many people who find it difficult. That's something we can talk about. That's something we can pray about. Pulling out of community because you just got out of a relationship? Yeah, though it's not ideal. Yeah, I can level with that. Sometimes it's tough being around people. And all these things isolated can appear to be harmless. But they all contributed. The sum of those parts contributed to pulling this brother away further and further from the truth of the gospel. And the sum total was alarming. It resulted in dangerous, dangerous wandering. It begins in small ways, friends. It begins with self-deception, thinking, you know what? This is okay. This is okay. That's the reality of spiritual wandering. So then what is the remedy? Well, James says this, if someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James doesn't give this overtly spiritual and passive answer saying, God will bring him back. James doesn't throw out cheap Christian platitudes. Once saved, always saved. Don't worry. No, he says spiritual wandering is a reality. And so you... Go and bring that brother and sister back. Notice the word he uses. Whoever brings back a sinner. Whoever brings back a wanderer. I find this to be refreshing. It takes a load and a burden off of me because James doesn't delegate the responsibility to the pastor. He doesn't say, and the pastor must bring him back. And James isn't being lazy here. He knows the importance of delegating responsibility, right? As we read last week, are you suffering? If you're suffering, what does he say? You pray. That's your responsibility. Are you cheerful? You pray. Is anyone sick? Then what do you do? Call the elders of the church. Are you wandering? Then what's the answer? The people in the community, you go and bring that person back church, the elders, the pastors are not the first line of defense. Please do not be mistaken. The pastors and the elders are the last line of defense. The first line of defense is who? You and I. Remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18. Jesus teaches, if someone wanders from the faith, if someone is sinning, you know that person. You've been in fellowship with that person. You've shared meals with that person. Don't let that relationship stop there. Go and speak to that individual. You go. And if that person doesn't listen, then bring someone else. Bring a third party, a trusted friend, someone that you both know, someone that you both can trust, someone that you both understand. 
and then go and confront the brother again. And then, if he or she still does not listen, then tell it to the church. And as the church's responsibilities, the elders would go and attempt to restore that person. That is the order. At this point, it's likely that someone will now come to your mind, someone that you've noticed, someone who has been wandering, someone who's been drifting. You know, Hebrews tells us that one sign of this is that the person is physically not visible. Remember, Hebrews says, do not neglect the act of meeting together. So you probably have noticed or you can think of someone who has not been present in the fellowship. Now, why do you think God is pressing that person onto your consciousness? It's not so that you can write me an email about that person. It's so that you can speak, reach out, go and bring that brother or sister back. It is the responsibility shared by the community. Brothers, don't you remember, sisters, don't you remember the two most famous parables taught by Jesus? The parable of the prodigal son that teaches that we as older brothers and sisters ought to go out and seek the lost. Or the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus ultimately asked the question, who is going to stop and help this person? We are called as a church to bring the wanderer back. Now, how do we do this? Well, this isn't necessarily from James, but if we look throughout Scripture, through Paul, we find that there are three manners in which we ought to bring the wanderer back. And I'll give you just three adverbs, three adverbs, lovingly, truthfully, and prayerfully. Very shortly, when we are called to bring a brother back, we are called to bring that brother or sister back lovingly. Friends, we're not bounty hunters. We're not supposed to go out seeking the wandering only to smash them with truth and a heavy burden. We are to pursue them in love. And as Galatians 6.1 tells us, we are to restore them gently. I don't know if you've ever been tasked uh, with the responsibility of picking someone up from the hospital after surgery or after they've been um, inpatient or after they have just given birth. If you're tasked with the responsibility of picking someone up from the hospital, what do you have to do? Well, you have to be extremely mindful that that person has been sick, has been injured. They are not in the best condition. So you can't park the car blocks away and say, hey, let's just walk to the car. You know, I cheaped out on parking. I didn't want to pay. Let's just walk. No, you bring the car up to the front. You help that person get in. You have water prepared. You drive slowly. When we reach out to the wanderer, we ought to do it lovingly, with gentleness. Charles Spurgeon once said, you know, sometimes um, we go after the lost, and we seek to crush them rather than to heal them. We seek to amputate the limb rather than to heal it. Friends, when we go to seek the wanderer, we ought to do it lovingly. Second, we ought to do it truthfully. We don't simply love and embrace for unity's sake, but we do it for truth. We pursue them with truth. Society today considers these two to be polar opposites, truth and love. They consider these two things to be at opposite ends, but the Bible does not know love without truth and truth without love. And so we pursue the wanderer with truth. 
the good news that tells us that wandering from the Father has eternal consequences. Wandering from God is not just a vacation away from home, but it's forfeiting one's heavenly inheritance. And we pursue them with the truth of the gospel that the Father longs for his or her return. We pursue with truth the good news of Jesus Christ that there is no sin too grave, there is no distance or time too long, there is no backsliding too lasting and permanent to nullify the work of Jesus on that cross. We pursue with truth. And finally, we do so prayerfully. I find that it's not a coincidence this comes after James' exhortation to pray. Church, are you praying for the wanderer? Are you praying for the backslider, even if they have hurt you? Who do you know among you who has wandered? Would you go and bring that person back? And brothers, sisters, friends, are you presently wandering? Well, let me, as a brother in the faith, make my appeal to you. My brother, my sister, if you have wandered too far, if discontentment has grown in your heart, if bitterness has lingered to the point where it's now polluting your mind, if indifference has become your normal disposition, brother and sister, I can level with you. I understand. All those things resonate with me. And when viewed piecemeal, these things are not necessarily caused to sound the alarm. However, what is alarming is that you have grown cold towards your Savior and His people. And that is cause for concern. My brother and sister who is wandering, who, who are wandering in the faith, would you return to Him? Do you see the shadow of your loving Father on the horizon waiting for your return? Do you hear the blood of Jesus speaking a better word, speaking a louder word, speaking a sweeter word than all of your sins and all of your backslidings? Would you return to Him? Would you hear His appeal? Would you see His love for you on the cross? And would you return? When we do these things, James tells us that we will cover a multitude of sins. It's not that we ourselves, by the, act of, by the act of reaching out, it's not that we cover a multitude of sins, but God through us in His Son saves souls from death. Let me conclude by just talking a little bit about a man by the name of Elijah. Last week, we read the passage right above this one. It was James's teaching on prayer. And in that teaching, he uses Elijah as an example of a righteous man praying with much power and effect. It was a great message. We heard about, you know, what it means to pray. And James refers to the time when Elijah prayed that rain would stop and the time when Elijah prayed that rain would come. It was an amazing display of God's power through prayer. And you know what happened afterwards? The great man, Elijah, the prophet, he wanders. 
Elijah becomes tired. He becomes exhausted. He doesn't have the heart to continue in ministry. He senses that nothing is changing. Even after praying this amazing prayer for rain to stop and rain to come, Elijah becomes exhausted, and he says, you know what? All of this was for nothing, and he wants to give up. And this is what he prays. I love this prayer, 2 Kings 19.4. He says, it is enough now, Lord. Take my life away, for I am no better than my father's. I love this prayer. Elijah's saying, I've had enough. That's it. I can't do it. Elijah wanders to the point where he says, you know what? I just want to die. I don't want to do this anymore. So God asks Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Come on, get back in the fight. Get back in. Get back with the people. They need you. You need them. Stop moping around. Come on. And Elijah says this, 1 Kings nineteen fourteen. He says, I've been so jealous for you. But the people, they've forsaken your covenant. They, throw down, they threw down your altars. They killed your prophets. And he says, and I, even I alone, am left. What does Elijah say? He says, I'm the only one left. I don't want to do it. And you know how God responds? He says, you think you're alone in this? He says, if you go back to Israel, there are 7,000 people just like you, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. What does God remind Elijah of? It reminds him of community. Even the righteous Elijah started to wander away from the faith. He grew tired, weak, to the point where he said, I can't do this anymore. And how does God encourage him? He says, listen, there are so many like you. There are brothers and sisters waiting for you. You have community. And in that, God encourages him. You are not alone. There are others just like you. Friends, that is the encouragement for today. That is the hope, that is the challenge for us today, that in our wandering we are not alone, that we have the church, we have each other. And for those of you who have wandered, I want you to know that everything that you feel, the pain that you are enduring, the indifference you are feeling, the discontent that has seeped so deep within you, we all resonate with that. And sometimes, yes, we think, I'm the only one. But no, the encouragement that Christ gives to us this morning is no, we all are in the same boat together. As a church, we are all there. We've been there. We've done that. We all know what that is like. And brothers and sisters, would you now hear the single call of our Savior Jesus Christ beckoning us to remember our first love and to return unto Him? Are you wandering? My appeal to you, brother and sister, is that you would return. Return to the God whom you love. Return to the God who has loved you with an undying love. Let's pray. If we can take just a few moments uh, to pray. Would you pray for your own hearts? 
and would you pray for those around you? We are not alone in this. We are called not to journey alone and pilgrim alone in this world. We are called to do it together as a body, as a church, as brothers and sisters. And you are not alone. Would you take this time just to reflect upon the message? If you know anyone who is wondering if God has pressed it upon your consciousness, would you pray for that individual? Let's spend the next few minutes reflecting upon today's word, seeking his will, seeking his goodness and his favor upon the people of God. Let's pray.